0: So this morning, the attitude of relaxed attention. Words that give this suggestion to the mind, you know, the sense of being at ease, not not trying to get anything, uh, attain anything or achieve anything. The problem with uh, what we call formal meditation is is that we've often been on retreats where the whole emphasis has been on achievement and attainment. Work hard, keep quiet, don't speak, noble silence, and then get their samadhi. And so the, the the condition of the mind is easily, you know, these kind of suggestions. How do how do they affect you? You know, what when when I make these imperatives, they work hard, practice a lot. Don't talk to anyone. Uh, get the, this level of concentration. Attain the first jhana. Now this, now I just know how this affects me is that it, it feeds this, uh, this uh, Bawadanha tendency that's strong in me, wanting to become, get something I don't have, achieve something. And it seems right, you know, it's in, in the level of worldly, Conditions. When I think of myself on you know, as a person, when I see myself from the thinking mind, from memory, from identity, and I can find all kinds of things, you know, see how uh, blind I am, sometimes insensitive, stupid, and whatnot. I can, you know, certainly can't see. Myself as a person is being enlightened. So, and that's because the personal, the personality is about thinking, isn't it? It's, a, it's attachment to thought, memory, identity with the five conducts. So that's where, you know, the thinking process is not to be trusted. The, the habitual thinking process. You're learning to use thinking skillfully. Is the whole point of like vipassana meditation practice? You're using concepts, ideas, teachings, but not for identity, not for develop, just more habits, to or to become anything. So the, the Buddha is kind of like a tool, excellent instrument to use but can be used all wrongly if we if we start out from ignorance and never get beyond it then you use Buddhism in ignorant ways. So beyond thinking is awareness you know you can be aware of thinking. Thinking can't be aware Thinking is a function of the mind, so you can figure things out, and uh, you know, with with thinking, with logic, and so forth. But you can't, you, can, you know, you can know all about something, but not know the reality of it. So this awaken, waking up, paying attention, sati, sampanna, satipanna, bhuto. These are the words that. Are significant, not as kind of comparing yourself, you know, how am, am I very mindful, or trying to figure out, am I the Buddha, am I the Puto, and trying to think about what Puto is, and whether consciousness is Buddha, and or consciousness and mindfulness are God, or uh, you know, we can get into into all kinds of uh, elaborate. Um, intellectual twists but it's not you know then we you're just we're just throwing ourselves into that vortex again. So this is the determination ter- not to solve all these things through rationality but through trusting in awareness and this you, you can prove to yourself. Awareness, mindfulness can be realized, recognized. just as simple as, as taking the, the, the concept, I am an unenlightened person and I'm practicing in order to become enlightened. Just by thinking that in an intentional way be aware of thinking is thinking, not, not trying to prove whether the statement is right or wrong. We're not trying to convince ourselves, I'm, I'm perfectly all right, I don't need anybody, I'm already enlightened, enlightened is my true nature, and then that is, that's not getting anywhere either. Because it's, it's still, you know, whether you think you're enlightened or unenlightened, it's still thinking, attachment to, to concepts, and a sense of a self. That's why it's not a becoming process because that's all about becoming. I have to do something now to become something hopefully better than what I am now. The idea of becoming enlightened means that, you know, on a thinking level I'm a much nicer person. I'm an enlightened person. I uh, take all those Sotapanna, Sakadara, Kamyana, Kami Arahant concepts and make them personal. So the ego, and this is what we call in common parlance, the ego, Sakyaditi. You know, what, what we don't want to, we're not trying to feed that anymore, trying to reinforce it. Or to have a Buddhist ego, just change the the costume, you know, so that you look Buddhist rather than Christian. <laughs> but the uh, the the whole uh, profundity of Buddhist teaching is is in the word Buddha itself, awakened, its conscious individual awaken to the way it is. And so in reflecting on the reality of this moment, this is a separate form, the body. It's conscious. Now this is reflecting on the this that we I didn't create the body on a personal level. It's not Sakyaditi, the body. It is a Tankara it is what it is. But I can't claim that I you know I create an attachment to it an identity with it out of ignorance. So I you know I judge it and identify with it. But I don't create the body out of sakya But I project that, you know, the, onto the body. This is my body, I am a man. And on uh, all the identities, assumptions, attitudes accordingly. Consciousness, I don't create that. The body was born as a conscious form, nothing to do with, with me uh, as a person. So this way of of reflecting, this is reflective thinking about the the body isn't you know is a is a condition. It arises, it's born and it dies. It is the way it is. You see it in terms of of the way it is rather than the what you think it is. You might think it's yours. You you know it's mine. I'm this this body and and I'm all the qualities of this body. I'm the age of this body. I'm the gender of this body. And so this is all proliferation through ignorance. Sakya ditti, Brahmatha, bharamasa The first three fetters are conditions that you acquire after you're born. You're not born with sakya diti Silabata bhara masa vich, These are the first three manacles that bind us to birth and death. So that, that this is where like stream entry, sotapāna, is actually breaking, seen through the artifices that we acquire after birth, after the birth of the body. You know, so, it's, you know, you acquire a sense of yourself as a person, a forms afterward. But when you're born, when the body's born, it's conscious form, you, so it's not, you don't create the consciousness out of ignorance. So then you, you reflect, well, consciousness, this is, we're experiencing consciousness right now. At least I am. Now this is just a word, consciousness, English word. And of course in the, in the Western world now, everybody's interested in it. Uh, even psychologists now. <laughs> interested in consciousness. And, uh, and yet, it, you know, it is, we're all conscious. But then we, we want to think about consciousness and define it. And so you hear some of the most ridiculous definitions of it, coming from scientists, even or psychologists, psychiatrists. You can say define consciousness without from the Sakyaditi view. You know, you're, 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 you're labeling it as something, you're limiting it to, to the prejudices, biases, views that you, that you acquire after birth. So you're not really recognizing it, you're merely holding an idea about consciousness, theorizing about it. But the reality is, it's here and now. You know. Each one of us is conscious At this moment. Then you're, well what is it then? Point it out to me. That's thinking again. So you're you're trying to find consciousness as some object that you imagine. Something that you, like you're seeing a, you know, an object, a, a tree or a flower or a cat or a dog or something. But consciousness is the very milieu that we're experiencing. It's like being in the space. Where we're in a consciousness. This is consciousness. It's not, you know, you, you can awaken to it, recognize it. And so that's mindfulness. Being mindful allows this the reality of consciousness, pure consciousness, before we we create the delusions into it. <clears throat> so that's where, in my own experiments with sound of silence, have been, because actually I find <laughs> that this uh, resonating vibration that I hear, that I notice. When I when I trust that, when I just rest in it, then the thinking process stops. The sense of a self drops away. But there's consciousness still conscious. There's a tension, there's sati and there's sampanchanya And it gives this this uh, this wide kind of infinite infinite conscious reality. Consciousness has no no boundary. In arupajanas, isn't it? When they talk about the arupajanas, this is all you know. The arupajanas are about space, infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness, and neither perception nor non-perception. Try to imagine any of those infinite space, infinite consciousness, nothingness, neither perception or non-perception. Now that's a good one, isn't it? Try to figure neither perception or non-perception out with perception, with grasping perceptions. You know, try to reason that one out intellectually. You get your brain into a real twist. Most everybody just gives up on it because when you're trying to think about it and define it and figure what it is. Because you're 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 attaching to perceptions all the time. It's neither nor. And the thinking mind has to be black or white. It's either or. It's either this or it's that. If, it, it's, got, if, you're not, if it's not right, then it's wrong. If it's not good, then it must be bad. And that's the thinking mind. Dualistic. So this, this sense of infinity uh, is another word. Means that, uh, you know, infinity is, is, uh, seems quite abstract, doesn't it? Something that has no beginning or end. So we can understand the concept of it. The reality of it What's the reality of infinity at this moment? And uh, oh, I'm not prepared for that. I'm, I'm still. I haven't even got first Johnny yet. I'm, uh, I'm still struggling with the, uh, you know, uh, sexual desire and anger. I can't assume anything so advanced as infinity. I still have my process to go through, my psychological needs, and my emotional traumas to figure out first and then this is all the self again isn't it I'm not ready yet for enlightenment I've got to work out all these things first in order to purify myself in order to become uh, something maybe in this life uh, if not maybe in the next life So notice that the thinking process, insidious, uh, uh, in deluder. We really believe it because it seems true. It has a, and it seems real, and like we're being really honest. And then somehow I found myself thinking that honesty lay in admitting all my faults to the world. You know, I'm transparent. I'm not hiding. There's no secrets. Um, I'll tell you the truth about myself. Do you want to hear the real truth about me? I'm no good. I'm unenlightened. I still have great hatred and delusion. So that's the, you know, this is like being transparent and telling the truth about yourself. Then, then here in England, of course, people don't, like to tell how good they are. So the truth is usually telling about how, oh, you, you know, you, you're not you know all that good, you're not really uh, rather or quite, and then it, it uh, nobody, you know, here is bad form to say, you know, I'm the very best. I'm the champion. I'm gonna practice, and you know, I'm gonna be the first Arahant in Britain and we said, that was a vulgar, really, it must be an American or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a, because that's culturally un, 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 unacceptable, isn't it, to to, to promote yourself and say, claim, you know, you even have ambitions to become the first British Araha. But then, uh, also, it, this is, this could be a rather charming trait, you know. The, the English mindset has its charm, but also, you know, is a form of delusion because we 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 think of reality always in the negative, usually through negative uh, perception. Or the other, say, the American style, the the greatest, the mightiest, the biggest, the best. Best country in the whole world. That's how Americans think. And <laughs> and so it's in terms of superlatives, but also, you know, that's a delusion too, But but also, Recognizing one's uh, virtues, even as a person, as a personality, recognize good intentions, uh, aspirations, uh, the 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 longing to to help others, the interest in in, in being generous and kind, and uh, admitting these to yourself. Because even on the Sakyadity level, if you're going to have an ego, you might as well have a, you know, have a more balanced ego than just one that's endlessly critical. And just sees things through, you know, dwells on the mistakes, the faults, the weaknesses that you see in yourself. And so, you know, that leads to just a feeling of despair, depression. But in terms of ultimate reality, then the, we don't create ourselves anymore uh, with with superlatives in either direction. We awaken. We observe. And then the the teaching of the Buddha is to be, is for. It's a suggestion, a way of looking at this moment that we might never recognize or think of just on a personal level we didn't have a skillful tool like this. Learning to use this this tool for awakening. We forget, you know, even though you know, we easily get pulled back, lost into our own delusion. Because what we call the real world is, uh, you know, everybody else supports this, this illusory world is the real world. So that's where we easily doubt our own reality. Because it's not the real world according to what the society says or even demands of us. and and our personalities are programmed by those delusions. The self is real. The Sakyaditi as reality. this is the way I am. I am unenlightened, and i'm practicing in order to become enlightened so then the taking this 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 uh, assumption and intentionally, this is what I did anyway, I intentionally think it, but I'd be, the intention was to listen because this seemed right in a way. It seemed humble and, and safe. It's safe to, to, you know, if I go around saying I'm enlightened then I'm in trouble. You know, once somebody claims they're enlightened, you, you're really in for trouble, because nobody wants you to be. Or if they do, they they usually do it out of ignorance themselves. So I mean, it it's uh, also audacious, isn't it? It's outrageous, you know. They, say, you think you're enlightened? You're a pretty sloppy eater, Ajahn Samedo. <laughs> you still scatter rice all over the place. <laughs> you can't. If you're enlightened, you can, You would certainly eat in a more a neater way than you do. I've seen you. I've seen, you know, all kinds of things that an enlightened person would never do. But that's not the point, it's it's like to, to listen to yourself thinking this assumption. You know, the I am unenlightened, this I am, just those two words, I am. Intentionally thinking it, but with a attitude of listening. You know, that which listens and hears one, the thought is not a thought. And then this is a way of kind of learning to discern the difference between pure subjectivity and the ego, the sakyaditi. So taking this, this uh, I am, the words I am, and then enlightened, unenlightened, I am a uh, Buddhist monk, or I am Ajahn Samhito, I am, and listening to it over and over again, but with the reflecting, uh, that which is aware of this thought. What's that, you know? There's like self-inquiry, it's the way Separating, you know. Otherwise we just we we don't know the difference. We're caught in with the usually we're we're bound to the concept. I am I am unenlightened. And and it seems true according to the conditioning of the mind. But in terms of the reality of it, it's a it's a statement, isn't it? It's two sounds we make, two, it's uh, creation out of ignorance. Because there's awareness of I am unenlightened. So th- you're, this is where mindfulness is being able to, our ability to observe this, observe thinking, or intention, or feeling. Not from uh, thinking about it or analyzing it, but just recognizing it. So like observing the three kinds of desire, Gamadana, pavadana, vipavadana. This compulsion, like, I've got to meditate, I've got to practice hard, Uh, really work hard and get my samadhi, you know, this this kind of attitude where meditation retreats, meditation practice become very compulsive, uh, kind of, you know, really get in there and do it. And watching, observing this, this compulsiveness, this feeling of having to do something, get something I don't have, is like this. Even though what I want to get is very good. But this bawa this, Dhanha uh, oftentimes is a, is, a, is a very kind of misery of the holy life. Misery of monasticism, wanting to, to get something. people disrobe because they can't get what they want out of this life. You know, they, they, you, maybe you expect all kinds of rewards for living the brahmacharya life, becoming a samana. And then you don't get what you want and then you think, well it's no good or it doesn't work or I can't do it. But that whole scenario, isn't it, is is wanting something, expecting uh, some desired result, some reward for hard work, some reward for denying sensual indulgence, some medal, some title maybe, practicing to become. And by just using these, this kind of reflection, you know, I began to notice how compulsive I am as a person I'm a very I'm com- very compulsive personality I could probably have been an obsessive compulsive personality and so that very that very tendency you know you take it wherever you go whether you're on holiday or or practicing meditation or whatever you and it tends to make you feel guilty if you're not really working being lazy is 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 like unacceptable laziness is despicable and hard work is praiseworthy and um uh, So, even when you, you know, when you it's time to relax, you, even relaxation becomes compulsive. Now it's time to relax, and I must relax. And and so you become compulsive about, uh, you know, how many, do we have an hour now to relax? Okay. (laughs) And you don't, you know, you can't relax because the compulsiveness is there. Good idea. But if you relax for the whole day, that's maybe too lazy, being too lazy. When there's so many things to do, so many things to accomplish, and get, and achieve, and improve, and repair, and whatnot, that you know, it's, you can't just waste your life relaxing. That's not being responsible. So the the inner tyrant goes ranting, you know, about how you have to be responsible for yourself. Grow up and be responsible. And this this kind of thinking, you know, can make us incredibly tense all the time and stressed out because it's compulsive, you know. it, It follows you wherever you go. I've told you about this, dream I used to have when I, the first year that I was a monk. And I'd, I'd go into a cafe or something and uh, sit down and order a cup of coffee and then and then I would be sitting there uh, and before I even drank the coffee an inner voice would say, you shouldn't be here. You should be preparing for the examination. Now, I went, you know, because I've been in the university, I went, you know, this was very compulsive, as a very compulsive student. <laughs> so, you know, I always felt guilty if I wasn't studying. So the only way I could relax when I was a student was to either drink or smoke ganja. <laughs> And then it could kind of forget it for a while, ease the tension of of the uh, of the uh, <laughs> compulsiveness. Because it was like everywhere I went, they like, you shouldn't be here, you should you've got an exam to take. You're not ready yet for this exam. And th- so that everything would be kind of corrupted in a way, couldn't enjoy anything because of this. You shouldn't be enjoying this, you shouldn't be just sitting here, you shouldn't, you've got to take the exam and you're not ready for it. Now this was a repetitive dream. I had, I don't know how many times, the first year uh, with Ajahn Shah. And so of course I kept thinking, well it's trying to say something, message, that maybe I'm not practicing hard enough. So I, you know, kind of boost up the hours of practice. I used to get up at. We had, we had to meet in the sala at three thirty in the morning for chanting. So I'd wake up at two o'clock. So I would be, and I'd do yoga. So I would be ready for the morning puja. And and then the whole ethos of the monastery was to work hard, practice hard, sleep little, talk little, eat little. So these are these are the suggestions uh, that the ego grasps. So then uh, observing this, beginning to observe this, this compulsiveness, it was uh, you know, I just—I uh, felt, you know, felt any resentment of things that I thought were totally unimportant that would get in my way, like, in, you know, they uh, people would come uh, and want to talk to me, or there'd be some function, and I didn't think it was important enough. I had my practice to to work on. I'd feel quite resentful if I. If I was forced to go somewhere do something that I didn't approve of, I was thinking very conducive to practice, just distraction. So one time in this monastery in, uh, called Tamsangpat, I was up there and I was really diligently practicing, you know, and I, was, I quite liked that. I can, I'm quite, I can get quite high on concentration. So, so then uh, Ajahn Chah comes for a visit to Tsum Pet. And, uh, and then he takes me that evening to a village, Fate, and uh, and and I didn't want to go. And there's a, another Western monk, who oh, I can't remember who it was now. Neither of us wanted to go to this, but we couldn't very well refuse, Ajahn Chah. So he takes us to this village where they're having this kind of big festival. And we sit on this platform and they've got this loud uh, loudspeaker system blaring or anything and these glaring lights and all this noise and and then I'm thinking this is a waste of time. I don't want to be here. Why did Ajahn Chah, what, what was, you know, why did he have to do this? This isn't right. He shouldn't have brought us here. I want I'm a serious Practitioner of meditation, and this is a waste of time. Getting quite indignant. Then I look at Argentina. He seems to be sitting there. Probably this monastery is not very strict. Probably the monks have money. We shouldn't even be associated. I get into my snooty, supercilious mode, puritanical positioning. Then. Uh, so I, be, I was quite uh, upset with John Shah thinking he shouldn't have done this, this was wrong. But then I started reflecting. You know, rather than just believing this, my, my righteous indignation, you know, so I began to see this kind of arrogance, my own arrogance, my own kind of Dedication to hard work, my compulsive tendencies, and how angry or indignant I'd get if things got in my way. And then I began to see this in terms of suffering. Dukkha, it's 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 a suffering, a state of suffering to to be controlling all the time, to divide everything up. This is important. This is real practice, this is this is rubbish, the way I could dismiss, reject things, and then try to hold on to others. So this is where reflection in the Satisampachanya, you begin to notice these tendencies in you know, not as criticisms, but observing the, the dukkha, the kind of unpleasantness of this division in consciousness right and wrong, good and bad. The the pain of being compulsive, always feeling you've got to get something, you're not ready yet, you're not good enough, you're not prepared, you haven't worked hard enough, you're not deserving enough, and you've, you've really got to work hard in order to prove yourself Now, this is this is no, these are words I'm using, but but they, you know you observe the kind of uh, effect, physiological effect, on, that that one is experiencing. This sense of contraction. I notice this work hard and you've got to get, you've got to achieve and attain. I feel in this very imp kind of commanding imperative. I tend to contract, I don't relax. So meditation can become another kind of intense contraction, controlling. Then the the adana, huh? the desire to get rid of, you know, this a uh, resistance. I began to notice a, a kind of obsessive resistance to things. Just uh, you know, it wasn't intentional, it was habitual. Rejection, resistance, denial, I- these words. just observing this tendency to, this other compo- to, to control and protect myself from negative things or unwanted or frightening possibilities don't tell me the truth, I can't, you know, tell me a lie, make me feel good. So the then the, the gamma Danha of course is, is the, the sensual desire, the way the senses work, you know, so the seeing, sight, through hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, the attractiveness and the repulsiveness of conditions that we have through through senses. <clears throat> now, then, getting to know these three kinds of desires is not sakkaditi, not claiming that I'm an expert on the, on these desires. But because the desire is, you know, is is not is something I can observe. It's like just punya to know your enemy, to know what where you're deluded, where you lose it, where you get lost. You don't just run away from it, and, and like the ostrich with its head in the sand. Refused to, that's denial, isn't it? That's whip or what done, I don't want to know, don't tell me. But it's the uh, willingness to learn. No, recognize, some. it's painful, emotionally painful for all of us to allow uh, a lot of emotional, Repressed emotions into consciousness because maybe we spend a lifetime trying to resist them, protect ourselves from those emotions. So this attitude of relaxed attention is an, a, an attitude, you know, to that I recommend, or or words words that. Encourage you to open and relax, not to, in order to see the tendency, maybe the habitual tendency to contract and meditate in a compulsive way. With the assumptions, maybe it's not even all that conscious, the assumption of I'm unenlightened and I've got to practice hard to become enlightened. Now, by recognizing this, what thinking is, uh, this is why I recommend intentional thinking. And I thought every th- every possibility, you know, like um, I'm the best, I'm the worst, every frightening identity, uh, repressed fears or anxieties or, you know, no matter how, you know, gross or horrible or or wonderful, but the whole point was listening, listening to the thinking process. As sakyaditi, I am this person. I am this body. I am good. I am bad. I'm a worthy or unworthy person. Listening, with but not taking an interest in the in the in what 's being thought, but observing thinking and letting a lot of the fears and and, and uh, anxieties that we repress into consciousness not to to react to them on a personal level but just to recognize them. even the the thing you fear the most you you dread the most when you think it intentionally it is the way it is and it it has maybe an effect, an emotional effect on you, but the awareness has room for everything. You know, awareness allows things to be what they are. The, The devils, the angels, the dark side, the light side and all the rest, everything belongs. Where on a personal level, my personality is based on fear on ignorance, trying to prove myself, trying to, you know, learn how to survive in a in a society as a personality. And so this is where the, this first fetter, Sakyaditi, you really need to examine it, know what it is, not just try to get rid of, you know, have to take a stand against resisting the ego, trying to get rid of your vanity or your ego, trying to purify yourself by getting rid of, of these um, unwanted, you know, we even use the word ego, it has a pejorative sense to it or vanity, you know, it's despicable isn't it, to be vain and self-centered is, is uh, you know, we look down on that, we don't want to be that way. But in terms of the ego, You know, that which is aware of the ego is not the ego. So one can be as vain and arrogant and silly and stupid or nontentical or horrible or whatever in terms of thinking and then awareness of that. So the, the important is the awareness of thinking and the quality of the thought then can be seen and recognized. Your, your tendency to be intimidated and, and, and caught in reactions to your thoughts and memories then diminishes because you're beginning to see it for what it is. You're no longer just, you know, caught in the, in the reactive habits Fears and and uh, desires that that one is so attached to and identified with. So then there's consciousness, consciousness with awareness. There's wisdom. Rather than consciousness with ignorance and sakititi the silabhadra so the first one, sakya dhiti, personality or the ego. siddhabata I use this term for the cultural conditioning in general. Just the, it's, it's the artificial stuff you acquire after you've been born as a, you know, you're physically born and then you acquire your cultural conditioning. The attitudes and values and ideals of your, parents and social class and ethnic group and religion. It's a way of, you know, a lot of it's learned through just osmosis. You pick it up through your mother and father. And so we, you know, we don't don't question even our cultural conditioning. But, you know, you're not born English. You're born and then then your mother says you're you're a little English girl. (laughs) So so that is, that's acquired, isn't it? That's a acquired concept. Told you're a girl or a boy. And then, then that rea- that that's a very strong identity with the gender of the body, isn't it? And then you know you're told how you know good boys, good girls, bad boys, bad girls. <laughs> you get you know these are just assumptions, a way way the society uh, reacts to you, to your to the way you are. They think you're a good little girl or bad little girl. So this is uh, when we acquire that a sense of ourself as being good or bad. And this is this is the silabhata uh, Bharamasa and the Sakya Diti Sila paramasa. Wichikecha is doubt. is a third fetter, and that's through thinking. Thinking always leads to doubt. Attachment to thinking takes you to wichike. So witchikea blocks off stream entry. You can't see the path clearly if you if you're just caught in your own thinking process because you always end up with witchikicha down. So notice that these three fetters are artifices. They're artificial. They're not you're not born with them in other words. Like your body is not artificial. It's dhammachat, it's natural condition. And consciousness. But then after you're born, then you get the conditioning process. It's you get this this these ideas, these these values, this language, this cultural assumption. This you you get after when you're not born with it. So then you as long as these three fetters dominate consciousness, you you cannot see the path of liberation, it's impossible. You might believe in the path or you have opinions about it, but you can't, you don't know it, you've never recognized it because of these three manacles that bind you to samsara. And that's why it's uh, you know encouraging you to really these are these are very clear teachings in the Theravada system. You know so so it's the fetters are quite useful. The list of ten fetters is quite useful, like a checkoff list. It make it, you know it gets you to really look what is Ditti? and not just uh, you know some nice. Poly definition of it, but the reality of it, of self, personality, of of baramasa, usually that's translated in English as clinging to rites and rituals. But it really means clinging to conventions, blind attachment to the conventions. Cultural conditioning is conventional conditioning, isn't it? No it's not. Rites and rituals we think of as just you know lighting candles and incense. Are any of you really attached that much to candles and incense that it's blocking off stream entry? Or you know I can very well live my life without candles and incense actually. I don't feel an obsessive need to light candles and incense and chant and parley. So that's not, silapottabhama rites and rituals are not obstruction. But what has been obstructive to me is my cultural conditioning. Because uh, a lot of Western people have this arrogance of all that rites and rituals. Those Asian Buddhists, they they light candles and burn incense and all that. That's not real Buddhism. That's uh, Stelebatamaramasa, clinging to rites and rituals and to prove that I'm free from rites and rituals. I refuse to light candles and burn incense and bow to those golden images that those Buddhists bow to. And what is that? That's Sakyaditi, isn't it? I'm not like them. I know what the Buddha taught. They don't. This is all, you know, it's full of self, isn't it? And, uh, and 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 Ba mouth because culturally, you know, culturally culture's different, you know, for being brought up as a Christian, you're told right from the beginning never to bow down to golden images, graven images. You know, that's a big sin to bow to images. So I think old Jewish and uh, Christian people at first have a bit of a problem. When you have to bow to Buddha Rupa the first time, <laughs> because it's so ingrained in the culture, it's a Silabhadra <laughs> baramasa <laughs> and then the Vichikita. So the, with these three, once you penetrate, see through these. these now these are guidelines for reflection. We're not trying to get rid of, of personality or, or cultural conditioning or thinking, but see them for what they are, you know, so you know them, you're not, you're not operating from being blind, blindly bound to the conventions, to the artificial human-made uh, uh, conventions that we have. Whether no matter whether they're good ones or bad ones, so this does take a you know determination, I- examining, investigating, uh, so to see what Sakyaditi really is. So these are my insights, you know, I, I you know, see clearly that Sakyaditi is thinking. My attachment, attachment to thinking, attachment to the five khandhas out of ignorance. Because I've examined thinking, and I haven't just taken a stand against thinking and trying to purify thought, but even think impurely to see thought as a condition rather than, and, and how thoughts affect consciousness. You know, thinking in negative ways affect you know this feeling to me. Thinking in positive ways make me feel inspired and happy. And and certain you know the power of words and concepts they do they have they have impact on consciousness. So, being aware of that impact is where consciousness and mindfulness come together and, and wisdom. So you're, you're informing yourself with wisdom rather than just operating endlessly from avicca or ignorance. So the, the point is, is awaken now, not practicing now to awaken in the future. It's the imminent natural state of being it's not an attainment, and it's not a personal ability. It's natural. So no, the Buddha uh, encourages us to recognize this very natural state of being aware, conscious, with the limitations of the human form, the restrictions of the five candidates, but learning from it, studying and investigating these khandhas, till you see there's no longer delusion about them, no longer assumptions or opinions about them, you're recognizing them. All conditions are impermanent, the Paisankara and cha